All right, well, this morning we will be in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Uh, you can find our passage on page 878 in the Pew Bible. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I'll bring the text up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in, the, in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So similarly to last week, uh, this morning our text takes us uh, to the city of Jericho. Remember Jesus is on his final journey down over to Jerusalem and I'm going to zoom in there. And so on the way he's stopping uh, as he comes through Perea uh, in Jericho. And uh, Jericho was an important city, particularly for trade, uh, when goods would pass through from uh, Judea and that green area on the right that Jesus is passing through before Jericho is called Perea. And so when goods passed from Perea to Judea, they would go through Jericho. It was a port city, essentially, at least, uh, at least um, for trade goods uh, on land, rather, not a port city, but you know what I mean. And so there's a lot of customs and a lot of uh, uh, taxes along those, which explains why uh, there would be a chief tax collector in the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho uh, itself was a uh, city with um, uh, a lot of uh, history to it. It was the city that Israel destroyed when it entered the Promised Land uh, and was rebuilt at great cost uh, many years later. Uh, it was... Um, uh, it was a city uh, that was uh, it basically it was on the low end. You can see how it's uh, on the right there. Uh, it actually has a um, lower elevation than the city of Jerusalem. The uh, you would, you could walk to Jerusalem. Uh, it was 17 miles uphill the whole way. And I'm not just telling you the story that your parents told you about when they went to school. We walked uphill both ways, right in the snow. You're like, this is Mississippi. Uh, so uh, we barely have hills, let alone snow. So, um, uh, but, they, uh, uh, but, uh, but it was a 17-mile uphill trek up to Jerusalem where the Temple Mount was. And you could do that in roughly a day. So not simply a, a stroll over to Jerusalem from Jericho. I do have a picture of modern-day Jericho. Um, and so you can see it's not some barren wasteland. 
uh, it, it is uh, fed by a very fertile uh, spring that makes the land uh, um, fertile, and so you have a lot of growth and agriculture, and so it was a booming city in the area, an important city. And, uh, but Jesus is heading over to Jerusalem, and bring that map back up, and where and there, uh, Jesus, as he told us last week, will fulfill his ministry. He will be treated terribly, he will be killed, but then he will rise from the dead. But before he does, he stops into Jericho and heals a blind man, identified in the other Gospels as Bartimaeus. But before he, uh, before he, uh, he leaves um, in the city, he encounters a man named Zacchaeus. And in his interaction with this man, Jesus raises the issue of purpose. What Jesus does here, he raises the issue of purpose. Jesus knows his purpose. Do you know yours? What is your purpose? What is the meaningful direction and intention of your life? Now, I do believe uh, truly that the general abandonment in our modern age of a sense of purpose, particularly a divine purpose for our lives, fuels much of the depression and anxiety that we experience. But Jesus reveals his purpose, why he came to do ministry at the very end of the passage. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And this is clearly acted out in the interaction with this notorious sinner. And whenever Jesus goes out of his way to make his purpose clear, um, it's I always want to make sure that we're clear about Jesus' purpose because we can get mixed up about Jesus' purpose, even in the church. Some think that Jesus has come to uh, restore, to, to reform our politics uh, in, in a liberal or conservative direction. Some say Jesus has come to affirm our individual identity in whatever way we might define it. Some think Jesus has come to simply just make our lives a bit better and be a kind of spiritual coach. But Jesus doesn't leave his purpose as a fill-in-the-blank Mad Lib for us moderns to fill in. As one author put it, Jesus knew his purpose on the earth. His purpose was not to reform the Jewish religion. His purpose was not to prove the Pharisees wrong. His purpose was not to bring in a military political kingdom. His purpose was to bring salvation to lost people. And so Jesus says, So this morning, we're going to consider his encounter with Zacchaeus in light of Christ's purpose, that Christ seeks the lost, that Christ saves the lost, and and we will look at each of those in order. First, Christ seeks the lost. We see this clearly in verses 1 through 7. And where, where, where we see the lost described and despised, we are given five pieces of information about this man that Jesus interacts with. First, that his name is Zacchaeus, which means righteous one, which is somewhat ironic. Second, this man was a chief tax collector. 
that's now, as I said uh, earlier, that Jericho was a city on a major trade route, which means that there would have been lots of taxes and customs on goods that passed through the city. The tax collector would come and assess the value of the goods and then levy the tax that needed to be paid. Uh, given his title as a chief tax collector, this man probably had other tax collectors that worked under him, and so and he would uh, he would administrate essentially uh, for them. Now, generally, uh, the Romans would not give uh, uh, salaries to tax collectors. They were like, "Why should we pay you? You just go collect the money that we want, and then you can collect on top of that for your own needs." And uh, many tax collectors would take advantage of that. It is possible to be held to account and to be brought up on charges. Occasionally, uh, Romans like to do that, but it wasn't that often. And so many would take advantage of this, op- this uh, authority. Unchecked authority rarely ends well, right? And so, uh, and so they would you know, collect on top of their needs and beyond, well beyond what they actually needed, effectively extorting their countrymen. And this man seems to have been no different. To get an idea of what this might feel like, imagine, since we are just, uh, uh, we're just uh, wrapping up uh, tax day, uh, filing day, if you didn't celebrate along with me, you really missed out. Uh, but, uh, but, you, uh, but you imagine the way that you paid your taxes was not filing them online or, or just hiring an accountant, but you actually met with an IRS agent who would sit there and evaluate and say, okay, you owe this many dollars, and you had to cut him a check or swipe your card right there, but you knew that, you, but that, he, that the, at least a, some of the money you were giving uh, that you were having to pay was going to this guy. With, he was personally profiting from you paying your taxes right then. You think you hate paying taxes now. Imagine sitting there in front of that guy who's sitting there in a fancy suit, doing just fine, and you're just, you know, just paying those taxes. And so Zacchaeus, the righteous one, uh, would have been rejected by his Jewish brethren because he would have been seen as a traitor, even though what he was doing was legal. He was be, he would be seen as a traitor to his own people. And no pious Jew would have ever entered his home. Third, we are told that Zacchaeus was rich, obviously having to do with his tax collecting. Uh, Fourth, and most importantly, though, we are told he was seeking Jesus. Luke doesn't get into the internal dialogue of Zacchaeus, but clearly something was amiss in Zacchaeus' heart. Despite being uh, uh, clearly wealthy in that time, which was a rare thing, uh, having more than he possibly could need, he knew something was wrong. More than uh, more uh, that something was deeply wrong. That that there was something that he needed that his possessions or his ability to procure possessions could not get him. What's interesting here is the blind man that we looked at from last week was obviously desperate. You could see it in the blind man. He was poor. He was begging. He was, you could see it in his clothes. You could see it in, the, in kind of the vacant uh, way that he would stare at you because his eyes didn't work properly. 
But you wouldn't be able to see desperation in Zacchaeus. But you see it in the text in his actions. Because respectable men, especially respectable Jewish men, don't do two things that Zacchaeus does. Jewish, respectable Jewish men do not run unless they're running from something or, or, or in battle. You're like, I have the same policy for running, all right? Only when I'm being chased and only when I'm fighting, all right? So, uh, and, uh, and, and secondly, Jewish men do not climb trees. That is what children do, all right? And so, uh, um, which is oddly, uh, I, I run by those same policies, apparently. But, uh, and, and so he, he, we see this desperation, though, that is at work in Zacchaeus. And we're, and we're given the, the reason why he does climb the tree is the fifth piece of information we're told is that he was a short man. Now, in that day and age, that would have been someone uh, under five feet tall. So, uh, so he would have been four something, uh, most likely. And so, uh, but why did Zacchaeus go to all this trouble? Well, apparently Zacchaeus, like blind Bartimaeus, had heard the stories about Jesus. He'd heard about what Jesus had done, miraculously even, restoring the sight of a blind man right at the outskirts of his own city. And so he seems to have thought to himself, if I could just see Jesus, if I could maybe just confirm who Jesus is, maybe, maybe he can fix what's wrong with me too. Now, I'm spending time on this because it is clear that Zacchaeus is not content with his life despite having all the comforts that money can buy. That means that we have here a well-to-do man who is quietly hurting, who is cut off from the Jewish religious establishment and sees him, that sees him basically as a traitorous heathen. He may as well be a Roman. And when Jesus declares that he will eat at the man's house, the people who are obviously pro-Jesus, highly supportive of Jesus, all start grumbling against Jesus. Because why, of all the people in the town, of all the pick, of all the houses that Jesus could eat in, why would he demand to enter into the home of this awful, notorious sinner? But let us then consider how when Jesus comes in, the lost rejoice when they are found. The lost rejoice when they are found. It was highly unusual then, as it is now, to invite yourself over to eat at someone's house. It was doubly so, since this man was a tax collector, and he thus would have been, uh, and so, and so Jesus would be uh, even considered, possibly himself, to, to contract some form of ceremonial uncleanness uh, for entering this man's house and eating his food, which uh, no, no, no respectable Pharisee would go because they were like, if this guy's a tax collector, there's no way that he's serving clean food. Uh, and, uh, but Jesus doesn't seem to mind because just like lepers become clean when Jesus touches them, so when he enters into unclean homes, uh, he also brings clean, cleansing and healing. The man cares here, though. He hears what Jesus says. He, he, he cares uh, that Jesus is going to enter his home. So he hurries down from the tree, and the text says he received Jesus with joy. 
This is interesting because the man here seems to be investigating who Jesus is. He's seeking him out. But then Jesus turns around and reveals the fact that Jesus is, in fact, seeking Zacchaeus. He knows who he is, and he wants to go to Zacchaeus' house. It was the theologian Augustine who wrote in his confessions that while he certainly did seek after God at a certain point, that he realized, though, that it was God who sought him. It was God who loved him first. It was God who stirred his emotions, who was chasing him down. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, described his coming to faith in, in a sense of being dragged to meet someone he did not want to meet. We sing a hymn that includes the line, from, ke- from heaven he came and sought her, and with his own blood he bought her. Indeed, it was God who came from heaven to earth to bring light into darkness, to illuminate the darkness of our own souls. It was not we who initiated salvation, but God the Father and his Son who came down, who died and rose again, that by the word and spirit he might demand entrance into our very hearts. That as Jesus comes to this desperate sinner who looks so good on the outside, so he comes to you and I today declaring that he will take up residence in our very hearts and souls if we will only receive him with joy. Christ seeks the lost because he is the good shepherd. He shares a whole parable about it where he says, I am the good shepherd who knows my sheep. I am going to go gather in these sheep that are not in this fold. I got to go get them too and bring them in. The sheep know my voice. They, I bring them in. And Christ seeks out his lost sheep. If you are found by Jesus, then you too are lost. Even our confession of sin today talks about how we were straying. We were lost, but we confess our sin and we receive that assurance of pardon from the Lord in the gospel because, why? Because we have been good, because we have done good things. No, because because we have been been found as we sing. And And so Christ not only seeks the lost, he's not offended by the lost, he seeks the lost, but he also saves the lost. Verses 8 and 9. And actually, in, in verse 10, we'll go, we'll go through it all. But, the, but we see here in Jesus' interaction, once he gets into the home of Zacchaeus, we see the grace that changes us in his interaction there. It's interesting because we're not given anything about what is said between Jesus and Zacchaeus up to this moment. Uh, it, it's uh, 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 that We just kind of skip right over that. But Zacchaeus declares that he will now give half of his possessions... Uh, to the poor, and he would repay anyone he has defrauded four times the amount, which for one thing says this guy has a lot of money, (laughs) right? He's got a lot of money. Now, the giving of half of what he owns is done so in recognition of the fact that what he owns was largely ill-gotten. It doesn't mean that every rich person, that their wealth is ill-gotten, but it means Zacchaeus' was. 
that there was a lack of integrity in how he came about his wealth. And so he's going to give away half of what he has to the poor. Uh, now, it was in that day, like if you were talking about generous giving back in the ancient, in, in ancient times, in that period, um, you know, it, it, that kind of level was about 20%. If you gave about 20% of, of your possessions to the poor, that'd be like, wow, wow, that is generous giving. That's what people would say. Well, he, he says, okay, I'll take that and I'll increase it by 250%, right? I'm not doing 20%, I'm doing half of what I have. In addition, uh, he, is, he is going to restore, he's going to perform restitution for the wrongs that he has committed. And his restitution actually goes beyond what the law requires. The, the law required for this type of, uh, call, call it a crime even, that he had committed, that he had taken money from people, um, that more than he should have, uh, that requires the returning of what was taken plus essentially a fine of 20%. Uh, but there is a stricter standard that he doesn't have to apply, but he goes ahead and applies, which is basically there's situations where if somebody stole uh, an ox or a sheep from you, and then while it was in their possession, it died or they sold it or they slaughtered it, uh, then, um, then they would have to restore to you uh, fourfold what was taken. Because the thing they took can no longer be restored to you, and so they would have to restore to you um, fourfold. That, and so he says, look, I'm going to take this standard over here that's stricter and doesn't apply to me, and I'm going to take it, I'm going to apply it to me. And I'm going to pay back anyone I've defrauded fourfold. He says, I don't care. Now note here, though, he doesn't say he's quitting his job as a tax collector. He doesn't say that he's quitting from taking his income from collecting taxes, uh, from, uh, for, uh, from collecting his income from those taxes, or otherwise he will be homeless himself. Uh, but obviously, there's been a change of heart in him, that whatever he does now, it's going to be done with integrity. He's only going to ask for the taxes that will uh, above and beyond what is required by the Romans to meet his needs. Uh, he's, he's gonna, he'll meet his needs, not just take as much as he can get away with. Now, this story has confused some because it seems like the man is essentially trying to buy his way into God's favor by doing all of this. And it seems to work because Jesus says in response to this, salvation has come into this house today. Uh, but this is actually putting the cart before the horse. The man is, is, doesn't and is not able to purchase his salvation through his generosity. You can't put a price tag on the blood of Christ. You cannot put a price tag on redemption. The man reveals his salvation, though, through his generosity. We have here the evidence of faith, the evidence of salvation at work in Zacchaeus's life. And so this is the principal argument of James in his letter in the New Testament. Faith without works is a dead faith. Uh, he, says, he, he says, oh, you have faith, but you have no works? Well, I show you my faith by my works, right? And so what if, so what if Zacchaeus had said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I'm just going to keep ripping people off because I'm real comfortable with it, right? Uh, what we're seeing here is the evidence of grace at work in Zacchaeus' life. In his encounter with Christ, he is a changed man. This is the fruit of saving faith. Now, we're not given the details here, 
But, uh, but as I said last week, we can't, not every text is going to say everything there is about conversion, coming to faith, salvation. No text can. But Luke clearly wants to show us that Zacchaeus' interaction with Jesus has changed him. And you can see it particularly in the way that he acts. You can see it in his generosity. Grace does not come to us because we change our behavior. But it is absolutely true that grace changes our behavior. And note that this man is now materially poorer for having received Jesus to follow him. So one, number one, take that prosperity gospel. Okay, This man follows Jesus and now he's poorer for it materially. Salvation coming to the life of this man has resulted in a great loss of material wealth. Do you think Zacchaeus minds? Do you think Zacchaeus is worried or upset? Because what Zacchaeus has gained is incomparable. He may be materially poorer than he was, but he is now infinitely rich because the grace uh, that changes us is also the grace that saves us. The grace that changes is the grace that saves us. And this is where we get into verses 9 and 10. Earlier in the text, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today he would, he would come to Zacchaeus' home. He says he needs to come to Zacchaeus' house. And then he says, today salvation has entered this home. Why? Because where Jesus dwells, their salvation is. He says that Zacchaeus is even a son of Abraham. Now that would have been news to the locals. Because as far as they, they considered him, he, he was a heathen. He, was a, he had forfeited his right to, any, to be called a son of Abraham by being a traitor. But Jesus declares him a son of Abraham. A son of the covenant. And thus a son of promise. Indeed, by faith in the Messiah, he is one who receives the salvation of God. And it's interesting because Zacchaeus' name, which means righteous one, was ironic before, but accurate now. He is the one that his very name highlighted his sinfulness and his wickedness. But now his name highlights the mercy and grace of the true righteous one, Jesus, who made him righteous, made him fulfill his own namesake. As Zacchaeus is, so is each one of us. So is every sinner notorious or not, who will receive the blessed Son. It was for men like this notorious sinner that Christ came. He, he is the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost, to seek and save the people that may even offend us today. And Jesus also calls his disciples into the work of seeking and saving the lost as his ambassador. He will seek and save the lost until all the full number of the elect are brought in. 
and he brings the kingdom of God into the world. J.C. Ryle, Anglican bishop, wrote over 100 years ago on this passage. And, he, and what he said here was, uh, I thought, um, well, I couldn't do better. And so I'm going to quote him at length. He says, let us grasp these doctrines firmly and never let them go. Their price is above rubies. Grace, free grace, is the only thought which gives men rest in a dying hour. Let us proclaim these doctrines confidently to everyone to whom we speak about spiritual things. Let us bid them come to Jesus Christ just as they are, not wait in the vain hope that they can make themselves fit and worthy to come. Not least, let us tell them that Jesus Christ waits for them and would come and dwell in their poor sinful hearts if they would only receive him. Jesus' purpose is to seek and save the lost. If you are his today, then know it is not because you first sought him or loved him, but that he first sought you and loved you and saved you. And if you're seeking God and redemption today, then I would simply encourage you to receive Christ with joy because he promises that he will enter into your heart and soul bringing the fullness of salvation, the promises and the gospel, redemption, renewal, justification, adoption, sanctification, and he will do so today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as unrighteous ones, unworthy of redemption, unworthy of salvation, unworthy of glory, unworthy of any form of grace or mercy, Lord, that you have sent your Son to seek and save the lost. For in our flesh, that is exactly what we are. We are sinners and tax collectors. We are worthy of condemnation. But because of your Son, we are sought and we are saved by his blood and resurrection. And so, Lord, we pray that we would reflect upon this glorious reality because we may feel, even as believers, a bit lost right now. Our circumstances may have us twisted around and, and spin in circles, wondering if you know where we're at, let alone if we know where we're at. Lord, may we be reminded that Christ has not merely looking for us, trying to find where we went off to, but he has found us and that he has saved his own, that he will not let us go. And Father, may we take encouragement and comfort in that, no matter what we are facing. Lord, may you strengthen your people and may we, Father, in the name of Christ, uh, take on that work by your Spirit's power, that as Christ has sought and saved us in the, in the gospel that you would use us and work through us to seek and save the lost today. May you bring them in our path. May we commend to them the same Savior who has saved us. And Lord, may our own behavior reflect the grace of the gospel at work in our lives. 
that we would be generous, not merely with our possessions, but with our words and with our time and, Lord, with our love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's